Right now, the Oscars may be best known for a little scandal lazily dubbed Envelope Gate, but for the first decade or so of Oscars history, such a scandal wasn't even possible because the Academy didn't feel the need for any such secrecy. In fact, the winners of the first Academy Awards were announced three months before the ceremony was held. Since that garnered little interest, the method was quickly changed and the winners were uninformed until the actual ceremony. However, to ensure the awards were covered correctly and efficiently, a list of the winners would be submitted to the newspapers before the ceremony. And that worked fine. Until 1940. On the eve of one of the most contentious and renowned ceremonies to date, the Los Angeles Times reported the winners of the event before the actual event. Incensed, the Academy immediately changed procedure for subsequent ceremonies. Price Waterhouse was hired to tally the votes and place the winners into sealed envelopes. So, it is the 1941 ceremony that saw the birth of a phrase that has gone on to become synonymous with every type of award ceremony. May I have the envelope, please? Welcome to For Your Reconsideration. I'm Devin. Okay. And we're here to talk about the Oscars and uh, determine which ones have stood the test of time and which ones have not. And today we'll be discussing the 1941 ceremony uh, that honored the best movies from 1940. A year we were not alive. But we're going to talk about it. So to keep you up to date on what was happening in the world in 1940... A little thing called World War II. In 1940, the U.S. was not officially involved in World War II, although we were helping the Allies, and it was it was assumed that we were going to be joining shortly. Although it wasn't like that shortly, because it wasn't until the end of 1941 that we joined. But, you know. <laughs> um, and then the other like big thing from the year in America, in the November election held that year, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, became the first and only third-term president. So, go Franklin. And he also actually, tying this into our actual podcast, uh, was the first president to be involved in an Oscar ceremony. He gave a radio oh, address. Oh, really? Just mm-hmm. congratulating the nominees? Yeah, just, you know, saying, hey. Thank you for movies and stuff. Yeah, thanks for everything, guys. Cool. Yep. So, more importantly, 1940 in film. A little history for you. Ready? July 27th, Bugs Bunny made his official debut in the animated cartoon A Wild Hair. Wow. November 13th, which is my birthday, uh, was the world premiere of Walt Disney's Fantasia, which was the first film to be released in a multi-channel sound format, um, and also marked the first use of the click track while recording the soundtrack overdubbing of orchestral parts, simultaneous multi-track recording, and is cited as a key chapter in the conception and development of the multi-channel surround Do you system. understand anything you just said? No, but other people will. <laughs> Did you understand it? Yes. See? But I just knew why you were reading it. It was just like, no. Okay. It was a big deal in sound. That's the takeaway. Yes, it was. Um, it was a it was a failure though in the box office. People did, were not into Fantasia, probably because people weren't like smoking weed before they went to movies. Yeah, that's in nineteen forty. Kind of bizarre movie to watch at any time. <laughs> I remember watching it as a kid and I was like, This is scary. I'm it, scared. It wasn't a movie. hit though? No, it wasn't a hit. Wow. In nineteen forty. Um, and then on December 5th, they released The Thief of Baghdad, which pioneered the use of chroma key effects, which is a green screen. See, I know that one. Mm. They were the first ones to do it. Cool. 
It probably doesn't look great, but they did it. It wasn't on our list, so. No. It did win, though. It won um, Best Cinematography Color. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. I mean, I don't think it had a lot of competition because I don't think there were a lot of movies that were in color. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, the top 10 movies of 1940. Number 10 was Comrade X. That sounds... I don't know what that is about, but yeah. Uh, number nine was Kitty Foyle. Number eight, The Grapes of Wrath. Number seven, Andy Hardy meets Debutante. <laughs> number six, Northwest Passage. Number five, The Philadelphia Story. Number four, Strike Up the Band. Uh, where is it? Number three, The Great Dictator. Number two, Boomtown. And number one, Rebecca. Hmm. I'm assuming is that because it's based off of a book? Like, was it a best-selling book? Yeah, it is based on a book, okay. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so here's some fun facts about the actual Oscar ceremony that occurred in 1941. Uh, for the first time, so the 13th annual Academy Awards, by the way. I'm just saying we're like in low numbers right now. Mm -hmm. uh, took them 13 to get to envelopes? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, before that, I mean, like, the newspapers just played along and like didn't post it until they yeah, didn't. Like, yeah. It was in the evening papers or whatever, <clears throat> but like, and then the Los Angeles Times just fucked everything up. Okay, um, so there, I'm just saying there's gonna be a lot of firsts, you know, because this is an early award ceremony. It was the first time that the award for breast best screenplay for breasts. <laughs> Let me start that over. <laughs> Who did that go to? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of competition there, probably. <laughs> Uh, for the first time, the award for Best Screenplay was split into two categories for Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, okay. Independent producer David O. Selznick became the first to produce two consecutive Best Picture winners. The previous year, he won for a little film called Gone with the Wind. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never seen it. You have not I have. I just want everyone to be clear on that. I've seen it. You will by the time <laughs> we're done with this podcast. <laughs> Um, and then obviously he produced Rebecca this year. Um, so although Rebecca had 11 nominations, it only won for Best Picture and Best Cinematography Black and White, making it the last time a film would win Best Picture but not win for either directing, acting, or writing. Wow. See, that's crazy. This is the 13th ceremony, and we have a last. That's the last time something happened. Yeah, that's crazy, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Acting, I understand. You know, I, the whole thing, I understand. I don't know how that movie won Best Picture, but we'll get to that later, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, with Rebecca's win, United Artists became the last of the original film studios to win Best Picture. Hmm. Um, this year, Hitchcock had two films nominated for Best Picture. Besides Rebecca, he had Foreign Correspondent, and two other directors also had two films in the running. Sam Wood with Our Town and Kitty Foyle, and John Ford with The Long Voyage Home and The Grapes of Wrath, which won Best Director. And then Wait, no. Long Voyage Home won Best Director, right? Or Grapes of Wrath? Won. Grapes of Wrath. Oh, it did? Okay, he won good. Grapes okay. of Wrath, yeah. Um, Pinocchio was the first animated film to take home competitive Oscars for both Best Score and Best Song, which started a long tradition of animated films winning in those categories. Because, again, at this time, there wasn't um, a category for feature-length animated film. That didn't come until, like, the 90s, so there's a lot of movies yeah. that... Disney doesn't have the, as many Oscars as you probably would if they'd had that category yeah. sooner. So that's it. Those are my fun facts about the ceremony. I don't have anything else to say about it. So you want to talk about these movies? Let's do it. Guys, we have so many movies to talk to you about. Like a ridiculous amount of movies. They nominated 10 movies in this year. For some reason. 
and multiple other years. So, well, yeah. And then uh, they're doing it now yeah. again. But and then <laughs> they decided, you know what was a good idea? Let's go back to like the 40s when we decided to do 10 movies because that's fun. I will say, you know, it is nice because you do get more range of types of movies. You get more comedies, more. Sure. Like, I do understand that. More representation of things that wouldn't normally get I'm not mad at the Oscars. I'm mad at you for, the, for this podcast idea. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so I've kind of, luckily, the way this breaks down, there's kind of nice little ways to clump these movies together. Absolutely. So um, we're going to start, Betty Davis starred in two pictures that were nominated. Um, so we're going to start talking about her movies. And we're going to start with All This and Heaven 2 by Anatoly Litvak. I probably did not say that correctly. It's actually Litvak. Is it? Do you know? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the synopsis is... A taut period drama tracing the upstairs downstairs affair between a duke and his governess. Do you remember this movie? Yeah. Okay, good. I do want to, you know what? I do want to <laughs> say something really quick. So, Devin and I, we live in an apartment. We and uh, several weeks ago, more than that now, I guess, but during the process of watching all of these movies, mm-hmm. we had a little uh, sewer problem. Which forced which us not a good problem. Yes, no, 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 no. <laughs> which forced us to vacate the premise, the premises for like three, three weeks. weeks. So over the course of this time, we had to put a huge pause in our uh, 1940 f- in film movie watching. Uh, so yeah, I just want to say maybe some things are a little hazier than they would usually be. Yes, but uh, overall, you know, I feel like this was a very um, so. Pungent? No, that's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> You're just thinking about that sewer problem again. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, like these movies all stood out in their own right. And actually, for being ten, I was yes, I was more impressed than I thought I would be. I guess golden era of film, right? No, okay. I mean, it depends who you ask. All right, so here's some fun facts about all this in heaven too. The screenplay was adapted by Casey Robinson from the novel by Rachel Field. Rachel Field's novel is based on the true story of Field's great aunt, Henrietta Deluzi Desports. I probably did not say that correctly. A French governess who fell in love with the Duc de Praline, her employer. When Praline's wife, the Duchess, was murdered, Henriette was implicated. It was a real-life scandal that brought down France's King Louis-Philippe in 1848. Crazy. Also, it is definitely not Desports. Probably not. No. Well, they don't... Yeah. (laughs) It's like Des Plaines, right? Yeah. Des Des Plaines. Plaines. (laughs) No. Okay. That's fair. Like, this this story brought down uh, a duke, man. Yeah, well, I mean, that's in the movie, too. Because I remember, like, in the movie, I was like, there's no way that, like... Because, you know, it was, like, the down with the upper class and, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that didn't happen. And I was like, oh, it did. Okay. Just wild. Is that like? I mean, did you feel like that was the tone of the whole movie? You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I really felt like that was kind of like thrown in there at the end. Exactly. To be like, oh yeah, and this. Yeah. This too, guys. Oh yeah. I know we've just been a love story for three hours. But. I mean, that's what's beautiful about it, though. Actually, it's like it doesn't have like it is truly a love story, and then it has this like crazy, wacky, harsh end. It's just like beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Well, the budget for this film was much higher than for a typical Warner Brothers production. <clears throat> Uh, the studio was infamous for cutting corners on every conceivable aspect of a picture. Sure. But this time, however, studio head Jack L. Warner wanted a film that would give the kind of prestige to Warner Brothers that Gone with the Wind had done to MGM. So he spared no expense. 
Oh, that's interesting. They erected 67 sets for this movie, which was a record at the time. Because wow. that seems like a, a didn't lot. didn't know they had that many locations. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like they did. Uh-uh. Betty Davis's 37 costumes cost $1,000 each. Is it a lot? In 1940? I'm going to say well, yeah. That's like a lot now. Oh, yeah. That's you know true. what I mean? That's true. Not for, like, Betty Davis and Jack Warner, but. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, I guess. Um, Warner Brothers paid $100,000 for the film rights in 1938. Wow. And the film itself was budgeted for $1.3 million. Wow. And there are over 150 different paintings featured. And set building and set decoration took nearly 70% of the film's budget. Hmm. Which seems unfortunate. Like, I liked, like, honestly, I went into this movie not with not very high expectations because I just thought it was going to be, like, a romantic melodrama mm-hmm. from, you know, and whatever. And I actually enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. I thought it was a pretty good movie. But I would not say it was on the level of Gone with the Wind if that's what they were aiming for, you know? See, I, I can't, I can't. I know you can't speak to that because you haven't seen, seen Gone, Gone with the, with the Wind, Wind, which is, like, crazy. I yes. know. Um <laughs> I I would also agree with you in that this movie did not seem interesting to me, and I absolutely like adored it though. I did. I I liked it. it you know, what? I'm gonna say right now, I liked it more than Gone with the Wind. You haven't seen Gone. With the Wind. I'm just gonna say it though, because I really enjoyed this movie. I'm gonna bring this back up when we do talk about Gone with the That's Wind fine. and see if you still That's feel fine. the same you know, way. Gone with the Wind seems like really long. So. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, if if I can say like one great compliment to this movie is I believe the runtime of this movie is over two hours, it's two and a half, isn't it? Yeah, it was pretty long. Yeah, but did not feel I did not feel it ever. I didn't feel I it as really much. Really didn't. There were definitely movies that we watched. The 1940. Like the thing with these move with movies from this era is that they are paced a lot slower than what we're used to now. And so there were a lot of movies that we watched where they were like under two hours, and I really felt like they were longer than two hours. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't feel that way with all this and having too. Yeah, I was really surprised. It flowed so nicely, in my opinion. I love the love story. Like I didn't think I'd care. Didn't think I'd care. Loved it. Well, I liked another thing, too, that, like, I've found watching these movies is that, like, a lot of any any of these films that featured a love story in it, it was like they fell in love in, like, two seconds. And it was, like, the love of their life, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. They were going to, like, move heaven and earth. But that's I really... That's how love works, though. So. I mean, it's not... I don't even think in 1940 that's how it worked. But um, <laughs> what I liked about you all fall this... fall in love with me in, like, two seconds? No. Oh. When I met you, I was, what, like... 13? Yeah. So I wasn't capable of love to at be 13. Fair, uh, excuse audience. I was also 13, so this is not so weird, okay? <laughs> you were 28 and I was 13 <laughs> when I just... Um, right. No, but what was I saying? Oh, but what I liked about All This in Heaven 2, it, like, it was a love story. But first of all, it's a love story where they never kiss. And also, never? No, I don't think they ever kiss in it. Okay, wow. And... um. But they, like, spend time with each other and, like, get to know each other. And I was like, okay, I believe that you would fall in love because you've actually, like, talked to each other for more than yeah. five minutes. Yeah. Which I appreciated more than some of these other films we'll talk about okay. where people made tra- strange decisions in love. Um, but, yeah, oh, I want to talk about Betty Davis, too. So, Betty Davis stars in this. And I love Betty Davis a lot. And I think she is a fantastic actress. And I think she was good in this movie. But I think she was miscast in this movie. I do not think she was right for this part. I feel like her whole persona is very, like, 
bought like you know just like tough and kind of like witty and that's like all about eve type things or even the next movie we're going to talk about the letter like that's who betty davis is and i feel like playing this governess who was just kind of you know just like love struck and like meek in a way just didn't really play to her strengths as an actress Do you disagree with that? Uh, yeah, I thought she was really good. I mean, I'm not saying that like, she was I know bad. That I think she was cast against type. Like, I yes. do I do find it weird, but I thought, like, I did not, I did not see Betty Davis f- five minutes into this movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, was, I was with it. It doesn't matter to me. No, I see what you're saying. I was so brought in. I thought, I really thought this was a wonderful gem that I would have never seen if we weren't doing this podcast. That's very true. Yeah, this is not something that I would have ever seeked out, sought out, sought out. But um, I believe it's seeked. Well, whatever. I wouldn't know <laughs> no, why <laughs> if it wasn't for this. But I'm glad that I saw it because I, I do, I do really enjoy it. Yeah, and if 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 that's it for this movie, Dart, do we have stuff to say about it? Well, I'll, ju- I'll just give you the rundown of other. Okay, stuff. sorry. Yeah. Did you have something else to say about it first? No. Okay. Well, what other people thought about it? Um, for Rotten Tomatoes, they have an audience score of 87 percent and a critic score of 83 percent. Okay. Um, no real rankings on any like important list. Although on AFI's list of the 100 greatest stars, Betty Davis is ranked at number two. Oh wow! So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Betty Davis, the yeah, and movies you would never see. Okay, <laughs> movies I wouldn't have watched without this podcast. Yeah. The next movie nominated for Best Picture was The Letter, directed by William Wyler synopsis the wife of a rubber plantation administrator shoots a man to death and claims it was self-defense but a letter in her own hand may prove her undoing did you get that from imdb i get all these from imdb yes <laughs> i was like reading it as long while you were saying it, it was <laughs> yeah, awesome that's where i get my great my no, they, have, they have good uh synopsi they do um <laughs> So fun facts. It's based on the 1927 play of the same name by w somerset mog can Mogum Mog Somerset. <laughs> so what do you, what his friends call them? Um, the production code administration rejected the original story adaptation that Warner Brothers submitted on the grounds that it contains adultery and unpunished murder. So a new final scene was added in which uh, Leslie is killed, and the character of Mrs. Hammond was changed from Hammond's Chinese mistress to his Eurasian wife to placate the Hayes office. Uh, okay so i did like so this movie is a noir um which i really really enjoy but in watching it i kept thinking like mm, i feel like the original story is very different and they're like clearly making changes to satisfy the Hayes code why how do you feel that because it just felt like it just felt like it wasn't the ending that it had been leading to the entire time mm. and then when it got there i was like Mm, I don't think that's how the original story was supposed to end. Okay. And it's not, but, <laughs> um, so I kind of find that like upsetting, but then I can also just like mentally pretend that the end didn't happen and that it ends where it's supposed to. But why? Because the Hayes code is dumb. Yeah. But so was this movie. So I you didn't like the letter. I sure didn't. Oh, I loved it. Really? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Woo. You hated it? I mean, I didn't hate it. It just particularly wasn't any good. <laughs> I really liked it. I like noir. I liked the whole, like, I liked the setting being in, um, 
where are they supposed to be in like philippine the philippines the philippines i think yeah Yeah. um i like you know like all the palm trees and stuff and like like i wrote in my notes here because there's all this like reminding you how hot it is and there's all like fans on stuff it reminds me of um body heat which obviously like a neo-noir which like was taking inspiration from noirs of this era but it just like made me appreciate like i like watching these old movies and then you can like see where new movies have gotten sure inspiration from which yeah. is what i felt watching that. i mean i want to go, go back because there's two things i really did enjoy like i f- i love like the first what 15 to 30 minutes whatever still takes place at their house okay and that's what i originally was like i bet this was a play or something i wonder if this was a play because it kept yeah. moving locations but it would be there for a long time just like mm-hmm. it was a set piece um i really loved all the beginning stuff it's like after the first kind of trip to the city wherever they go it's like after that it's just i just felt the movie just like lost itself and i just didn't i didn't particularly care for where it was going i'm not gonna say like i was uninterested Mm -hmm. but i thought it didn't live up to what it originally uh promised but then again again that could be what you're referring to through the haze code Mm -hmm. but i just didn't really care for the end i thought the lead actor was boring um but like who played her husband or played the lawyer the both okay wait actually i think i i feel like i kind of like this is one of the movies that happened pre sewer disaster uh (laughs) no i feel like i i didn't i didn't mind her husband too much i hated the fast talking uninteresting lawyer who was supposed to be like the real male lead in this movie yeah i think he was nominated for an oscar Uh, what i mean that's crazy and we'll get to (laughs) we'll get to some crazy nominations later but um yeah no i just didn't particularly like this film um well, this was the film that Betty Davis was nominated for. Really? So would you do you think she gave a better performance in All This in Heaven too, Or do you think she gave a better performance in this? I don't know. I feel like this is more Betty Davis. Yeah. And see, that's what I liked. I liked how, I mean, I just, I like Betty Davis. So I like her when she's being more Betty Davis-like. Um, and I just like the idea that this woman, like in 1940s, when she was like having an affair and then her, what do you call like a male mistress? Like a a mister? mister? I don't know. When he's like, I'm done with you. She's like, no, you're not. And kills him. That's like pretty badass for 1940. And yeah. it sucks that then the movie was like, well, now you have to die too because you're an adulteress and a murderer. Yeah, that does suck. And it also sucks that this took place in the Philippines and then they just cast a bunch of white people. <laughs> but it, it was 1940. Um. So, wait. Hold on. I want to go back a sec. You're saying this Hayes Code, they, she needed to die because she murdered somebody? Yeah, like murder can't go unpunished according to the Hayes Code. So, I mean, she could have like been arrested or whatever they they chose to kill her. But the last two movies we watched certainly did not follow this uh, this rule. Uh, Yeah. They're, I mean, I don't know. We'll bring, we'll bring that up later. I don't want to yeah, give anything yeah, yeah. away. But, but yeah, that's... That's true. So what? Was I don't know. Because it, it was a woman. Po- probably. It's probably well. One, she was also an adulterer. Oh Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, sure. You're right. She was already kind of like. She was already like a bad woman. Yeah. It probably did affect. It probably did affect it because she was a woman. They're like, we can't let a woman get away with it. Whereas in like another movie we watched, the cheating woman was the one who was murdered. So that was and, fine. No repercussions. Well, we'll get to that when we talk about it. Okay. But, um, yeah. So they did change it. And they also changed because, like, in the original play, her lover is just, like, also dating this Asian woman. And then they changed it to his wife and made her Eurasian so that she was, like, it wasn't, like, as much 
you know as much what interracial sex oh, yeah it's like only like half interracial and, and then they, they were married so it wasn't they were more yeah. adultery or yeah. whatever <laughs> i don't know dang that's a shame yeah no but i like it. i think okay. it's an interesting concept that she's like lying she's saying that he like i mean essentially she's alluding to the fact that he was trying to rape her which is also kind of like tiptoed around because it's 1940 or whatever yeah but that's what she's saying and then but she had like written the letter is like calling her him to her house or whatever yeah. and so then it pr- which doesn't really prove anything because I think we know in 2017 that like even if you're dating someone they can still rape you but yeah. in this instance he wasn't she was yeah. just pissed but still I just think it's an interesting idea that this letter then is like being auctioned off by his wife let's remake it and call it the text message <laughs> and uh <laughs> I think we can get away with whatever we want really that's true so that's true modern day um i've noticed well you know this is based on a play uh all this in heaven too is based on a book are we gonna see this reoccurring throughout the rest of our nominees um for the most part yeah a lot so, of them are so really hollywood's on. like never been original and this this whole argument that we used to come up with original content is like really based on nothing no i think that's very true like i feel like when we watch these old movies like so many of them are based on plays yeah. or books and you think at the beginning of film <laughs> the beginning yeah. of sound and pictures you know, you'd have a lot more original content. You would think. But I think the difference is people get mad because, like, movies keep getting remade. But it's like, yeah, back yeah. then, all they had were books and plays, like, pri- you know, prior to this. Sure, yeah. So that's what they were remaking. Now we have, you know, And there was so many. There, you had such a catalog of, of books that you could finally put visuals to. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, there were no, so many it. classics that then you could, like, oh, we finally get to make this or whatever. I just feel like at this point, it can't be until the 70s that we really start getting a lot more original content. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, just straight up original stories because, I mean, that brought in, you know, a whole new wave of young filmmakers and young writers and stuff. They were like, they, I think, yeah, in the late 60s and the 70s is when film really shifted drastically. And I think part of that was more original okay. content as well. Interesting. All right. Sorry. That's just a random thought. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the letter? Um, do, 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 no. Okay. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 83%. Critic score of 100%. Wow. Um, again, like I said, on AFI lists of 100 stars, Betty Davis is listed at number two. On their list of heroes and villains, her character of Leslie Crosby was nominated for best villain, but did not make the actual okay. list. Okay. That's pretty much all that it was ever uh, yeah. recognized for. Okay. Moving on to our two pictures directed by Mr. Sam Wood. Which I know one's you're first? a huge fan. Oh, you know which one's first. Okay. Our Town by sam wood our town and like i was saying before i get all my synopsises from synopsi synopsi from <laughs> imdb imdb did not have a synopsis for our town what are you talking about i have one right here but it's just like the beginning of the book it's like a huge paragraph that i'm not gonna read like they didn't write their oh, own synopsis. oh wow you're right holy shit okay because even imdb was like we're not watching this film like, are you joking they're like i don't care it's not about anything i can't write anything so here's my personal synopsis of what our town is about okay lay down uh life sucks then you die is my basic synopsis of our town that's mean because i is this really that bad of a play like i'm not saying it was like a you know okay so you know how in the movie there were paul newman's in the play you know how in the movie there were like sets and costumes and like yeah imagine this story with not that with nothing just in oh, black no. okay. because that's how the play is presented 
so you can't see any of the cool town stuff that it would be no it's just a black to. box with no props no sets because you're supposed Some to chairs. imagine your town right as our town it's a bunch of bullshit is what it is okay uh, you want to know some fun facts about our town? Sure. There are none. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a few. <laughs> okay, okay. It's a. It's based on the play, um, and Thornton Wilder, who wrote the play, won a Pulitzer Prize. Hmm. I'm just assuming there weren't a lot of good plays in 1940 or something. Like I don't know. Um. That's it, actually. That's the only thing I had was okay, that it's based so on a play and he won a Pulitzer for it. Okay, that was very fun. Thank you. For the I told you it wasn't fun. I well, I know, were no they fun were more facts. just like facts in general. Yeah. Um, they did change it from the play, the ending. So, like, I guess I should amend my synopsis of the film. Um, life sucks and then you die, but you don't die. It's just a dream. Everything's fine. Oh, but that's not what happens in the play? No, in the play she dies. Yeah, because she sure came back in the movie. And it was ridiculous. It was so stupid. Anyway. Which, like, it weakens it. Like, I think the idea of our town is interesting. It's, like, a, just a look at, like, what everyday life is like in some small town. And it's not eventful. And it's just, you know, people living their lives and doing whatever. And then this person who is good, she's a good person who, like, married a man she loved and is having a baby and then dies. For no, It's not like she did anything wrong. It's not, like, the letter where she, like deserve to die or something she just dies mm -hmm. because that's what life is and then she kind of looks back and then the life that she thought was uneventful she realizes was like actually important and blah 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 that's an interesting idea it's just that it's so deathly dull that i don't care but then to like yeah. weaken it in the film by having her not die just ruins anything that was interesting about it in the first yeah, place no I, I agree with that i hated the end i could totally get on board with the story like i would like to see this story done well and i feel like i would be I would be converted to an R Town fan, not of the movie, but of the play. Because I actually did, like, I can get behind stuff like that. Like, I love Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. Like, I love just kind of being thrown into this way of life, but I don't know. Here's my fun anecdote about the play of R Town. It's if it's not, f you said fun facts earlier, and not, those weren't fun. So, is this just an anecdote? It's an anecdote. I okay. find it fun. Okay. So, um,. I, in high school, I volunteered at a local theater company running crew. What are they called? Artists Ensemble. Never heard of it. If you're ever in the Rockford area, please check them out. Please you have do. heard of them. I know. I go all the time. You do. I actually make their videos. So. You do. Um, so anyway, so I would volunteer. And so they did Our Town, one of their seasons, and I was running the light board for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, so it's, so you're in a dark room. Yeah. In the light, in the booth or whatever. I guess you fell asleep. Every single <laughs> performance I had, I was like, on the verge of falling asleep every time well, yeah you see it so many times it gets boring to you the from the first time <laughs> to the last time like it was a struggle to stay awake through that production all right so basically we don't recommend our town okay no except like i wouldn't say watch the movie but maybe if the play's happening go check it out i will say too i want a pulitzer here Ugh. not everything that was a pulitzer is good like hamilton no what no that was good <laughs> i will say too so this film um even the studio didn't care about it so when it came up that the film version was uh needed to renew its copyright they didn't 
<laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. We watched it. In yeah, public so domain, right? yeah, technically it's not public domain because the play isn't public. Domain. Oh, okay, okay. But the film isn't copyrighted anymore because they let it lapse. So it is really easy to find versions of the film. It's just that they've made so many copies. Like it's now like copies yeah. of copies of copies. It's so it's not quality, a good version. Yeah. yeah, it's terrible quality. It's, it's really unfortunate. Also, I am a fan of Hamilton. I just want to throw that in there. It was a bad joke. <laughs> All I right. make a lot of them. Bad jokes. So Sam Wood also made a film called Kitty Foil. Kitty Foil. Which was nominated. Uh, synopsis. She, oh, she's a girl from Philadelphia. Born in West Philadelphia. I don't know. That's not how that goes. I'm bad. You were close. I'm going to edit that out. Uh, Probably not. I'll forget. A hardworking white collar girl from a middle class family meets and falls in love. In Philadelphia. Yes, in Philadelphia. <laughs> meets and falls in love with a young socialite, but she soon clashes with his family. It's not a great synopsis. That's a terrible synopsis, actually. <laughs> One, she's not from a white collar family, unless white collar means something different in 1940. No, yeah. She was right. very blue collar. That was she, the whole point. <laughs> exactly she like is a you know a working girl she meets a rich guy not like that she's working (laughs) (laughs) as like a secretary and um she meets like this rich dude and they fall in love but then so it actually it's okay break this down for you guys because i'm gonna assume most of you listening have not seen kitty foil (laughs) just an assumption um it starts with her with this other guy and he's like in New York in New York and they're like we're gonna go be married go marry me meet me at the ship tonight at midnight yeah and she's got to go up and pack her yeah go suitcase. pack your things and let's meet at the ship we're gonna yes. start our lives together yes so then she goes upstairs and then well he sent her the or no he's there he comes like the the other guy comes because mm-hmm. she had sent back the ring and is like no I love you you sent for me and now I'm here for you so there's like a love triangle thing so then the whole thing is then her remembering this romance with this other guy when when yeah, his name's when oh yeah i was like i thought you were saying like when was it when did it oh, happen no. i was like i don't know not when when yes his name was when but he doesn't and um he loses yeah and um so it's all just her like remembering their romance yeah and then like a tiny bit about her and the new guy there's even like a snow globe scene just to yeah, change time yeah um so basically, but here, okay, so then it's like this dilemma of like, who do I go to, this man that I've been yeah. in love with for forever, or this guy that like, uh, sucks. And <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't suck. He does suck. Do you remember their first date? No, I know. No, I know. But he comes in second because Wynn has been such a strong, like mm-hmm. Wynn was her first love. Yes. And she was being hurt. She was hurt through all this time that she met this other guy. So like, she didn't realize how much she like truly did care for him or how good of a husband he would be to her. While still focusing all of her attention on Wynn, because he kept popping in at the worst times. Yeah, he, Wynn never let her go. You know what I mean? He wouldn't because there was no reason to. This is my problem. Her whole thing is like we come from like different, like so they they did get married. Yeah, they got married. Yeah, they like eloped, and then they go to meet his family, and his family is very disapproving because she doesn't have etiquette and like yeah. blah, blah blah. And they're like, we're gonna send you to etiquette school and like yeah. do this stuff. And they were very sweet. They weren't terrible. No, they weren't. I mean, what they were saying was dickish, but it wasn't yes. like unreasonable yeah. either. They weren't saying like you must end this immediately and pretend it never exactly. happened. Exactly. Exactly. Which you could see coming. Right. Which is apparently what she heard. Yeah. Because then she's just like, okay, bye. And just like leaves. Has a freaking baby out of like on her own and doesn't tell him. Which doesn't work out. Or no, wait. She like lost the baby, didn't she? 
Yeah. Well, it died at birth. It died at birth. But I mean, she was pregnant that whole time. She doesn't tell him about it. Yeah. Like he, in my opinion, Win never did anything wrong. He was just like, I love you. Let's be together. And she's like, no, we're too different. Don't I can't disagree. No, hold, hold the phone, Devin. Wynn hesitated too long. That was his biggest problem, right? Yes, he still loved her or whatever, but he he could he could have had her the entire time. Instead, he went off and did other things and like was embarrassed and then later realized, oh, I'm sorry, that was my bad after running into her. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's not that's not the same. I guess. So Wynn did do something did do something wrong. He did a tiny bit wrong. A tiny bit, but yeah, but this movie is about people make mistakes. It's I guess. Yeah. I'm saying the other guy that she chooses in the yeah. end. Um, it's hilarious. Was sucked. He is so funny. He came on their first date and refused to actually take her out. Yeah. Because he wanted to test her. Yeah, make sure. To make sure she wasn't just in it for like a free meal or whatever. Yeah. That's a dick move. Her poor roommates were stuck in a you bathroom. Don't, you don't think he'd been hurt before? No. I don't. Maybe I that's think he's why an asshole. <laughs> he's not. To be clear, he's not an asshole. I disagree. Maybe that wasn't the best light to put him in, but he's not an asshole. He's an asshole. And then he's just like, oh, we're just like having fun. And then he's a doctor or whatever. And they're like on a date and he has to go deliver a baby. So then she's like holding the baby. And then he's like, seeing you holding that baby, I really think we should get married because it turns out you do enjoy children. That is just a sign of the times. I That's hate all it. that is. When was a good guy. Oh, I know when was a good guy, but when also found other love and had beautiful children. <laughs> I can't. That kid is hilarious. He's also in other movies. Yeah, he was in all this and have it too. The greatest thing about watching all these <laughs> ten movies is like we saw a lot of actors in many of them. My favorite, the same, th- a- the same actors. That kid must have been from somewhere in the south, and he had a very thick southern accent, yeah. which was not covered up in either of these movies where no. he was not supposed to be southern. Yeah, Philadelphia in one and French. <laughs> yeah, he was in the to other. But he talked like, hey. <laughs> he was very cute though. I love opera. <laughs> Uh, yeah but um here's my thing though i th- I feel like this is another Hayes code thing where it's like uh-uh. she couldn't choose win because win was technically married sure not technically he was married to someone else. are we do we ruin every movie we talk about yeah okay sorry that's not a thing we're supposed to like dance around no i mean you know how like they say like at a spoiler etiquette as if it's been like over a week yeah I mean, this has been like decades. We're I really mostly feel. just saying not to see these movies either. Yeah. If it's something I that. think you should see, we probably won't. If it's something we think you probably have seen, I'm also not going to okay. worry about it. Okay. I'm not recommending Kidding Foil to anyone. Oh, yeah. Me either. Um, it was fine. I mean, I do think it was very much of its time. But I feel like it was very of its time where it's trying to be like, look at this strong female lead that we have. But like, she wasn't. It was like faux independence. Yeah. And then she she chose wrong. Yeah. Because, like, the whole story is this epic love story between her and Wynn. And then, like, literally, like, ten minutes is spent with the other guy. And then she chooses the other guy. It's a waste of my fucking time. Sure. I didn't even... We went into this whole thing. I didn't even read you any of my fun facts about it. Oh. Are they fun? Uh, Yeah. It's based on a book. Christopher Morley's 1939 bestseller. Ginger Rogers was initially reluctant to take on the lead role as the novel the film was based on contained explicit sexuality and Kitty has an abortion in it. Oh. Yeah. That was changed. (laughs) Rogers' mother advised her to wait until she saw a screenplay before making up her mind, pointing out that the production code would not allow most of that material. (laughs) 
Um, and sure enough, when it was adapted, it was clean enough for Ginger Rogers to star in. Cool. Which is good because it won her an Oscar. Oh, wow. She and won an Oscar this year for that? Yep, she won wow. an Oscar, um, which I have some thoughts upon. Ginger Rogers wore a dress in the film, which instantly became so popular that to this day, the style is known within the garment trade as a kitty foil dress. Characteristically, this would be a sleeved dress in black or navy with a white or a crew collar and cuffs. That's fun. It's the lasting impact that this film had. Cool. I just want to talk about, so Ginger Rogers won the Oscar for this. Um, let me just tell you who she was up against. She was up against Betty Davis in The Letter, Joan Fontaine in Rebecca, Catherine Hepburn in The Philadelphia Story, and Martha Scott in Our Town. So it really sounds like, I mean, it sounds like it's between her and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, one. and she, like, why but wouldn't Catherine Hepburn? I don't know. I thought she was honestly pretty good in this. Like, she showed a, a wide range. Whereas, like, she was good. I will say, like, this is probably, well, I, not probably, it is the only movie I've seen Ginger Rogers in where she wasn't, it wasn't a Fred Astaire movie. Okay. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like, I think that's how most people know Ginger Rogers is as Fred Astaire's dancing partner. Okay. And she was very good. I still probably like her better in front of Stare movie. I mean, I don't know, but she was fine. She wasn't bad. I would say Catherine Hepburn was better. I would say Betty Davis was better. Um, I would not say Joan Fontaine or Martha Scott were better, but yeah, I don't know. I thought I enjoyed her in this, um, but probably Catherine Hepburn for the the big take. Yeah, in my opinion. Then she would have but then, five. Oscars. Then again, I don't know. If she, uh, Ginger Rogers showed more range than Catherine Hepburn did in Philadelphia Story, so. Catherine Hepburn's just kind of like the same. I will say, like, Ginger Rogers, I feel like, was acting. I do feel like Catherine Hepburn was just kind of being Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, exactly. So, maybe but again, it, I love Catherine Hepburn. So maybe in the end they got it right. I mean, fine, whatever. But it wasn't a great year. For female? For female characters, yeah. Well, um, actually, pff, I'd agree. I'll, I'll I'll I would say it's male. probably like a bad decade for yeah, female like, characters. That, well, that's true. <laughs> it's been a lot of bad decades for female <laughs> characters. But, uh, no, um, I just, yeah, I don't... I, I, th- I noticed a lot of strong movies I felt this year, but not a lot of, like, strong performances, in my opinion. Mm. That's just... Maybe that's just me, but... Yeah. I think there were probably some stronger male performances, but again, I think that's because they uh, got Our, some better parts. Although... Better parts, yeah. I mean, like, this movie, Philadelphia Story, and Rebecca are all female-led movies. Yeah. You know, so... Mm-hmm. Although I would say, of, like, strong female characters, I would say... Uh, the Philadelphia story is the only one with a strong female character. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so what other people thought of Kitty Foyle, Rotten Tomatoes, audience score of 73%, critic score of 75%. Um, the box office, it made 2.4 million. Like we said at the top, it was in the top 10 and it was RKO's top film of the year. And uh, as far as lists go, it's not really listed on anything. Although on okay. the AFI's list of 100 stars, Ginger Rogers is listed at number 14. Well, okay. Which, again, I think that's probably more to do with the work she did with Fred Astaire. But yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I think, I mean, as much as it's, like, I'm happy she won an Oscar or whatever, but I do think, obviously, her legacy is her dancing. Yeah. But she's very good at. All right. So we were talking about the Philadelphia story. So let's talk about the Philadelphia story. Okay. By George Cooker. Synopsis. When a rich woman's ex-husband and a tabloid-type reporter turn up just before her planned remarriage, she begins to learn the truth about herself. I think that's a good synopsis. Yeah, it works. Starring uh, some little-known actors. 
Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, and Cary Grant. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, it's one of the best examples of a comedy of remarriage, which was a popular genre in the 1930s and 1940s in which a couple really? divorce, flirt with outsiders, and then remarry. <laughs> it's a useful storytelling ploy at a time when the depiction of extramarital affairs was blocked by the production code. Oh, So it was their way okay. of like, they Being couldn't like, like, be married and have yep. these flirtations. They had to be divorced and like, sure. get back together. Um, Howard Hughes bought the film rights for the play of the play for Catherine Hepburn, who wanted to use the film as a vehicle to restart her career after being named box office poison in 1938 by the theater owners of America. She then convinced MGM's uh, Louis B. Mayer to buy the rights from her for only 250,000 in return for Hepburn having veto power over producer, director, screenwriter, and cast. Wow. So she really like she was the driving force behind this yeah, movie getting yeah. made. And luckily, she was dating a billionaire when he bought it for her. Yeah. She's like, oh, here's a little something I bought for you. <laughs> um, Cary Grant demanded top billing and a $100,000 salary, a huge amount at the time. As it turned out, however, he donated his entire earnings to the British War Relief Fund. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Stewart, who won the Oscar this year for Best Actor for this film. Never felt he deserved the Best Actor Best Actor Oscar for his performance, especially since he had initially felt miscast. He always maintained that Henry Fonda should have won instead for The Grace of Wrath, and that oh, the award was yeah. probably deferred payment for his work on Mr. Smith Goes to Washington the previous year. Wait, okay, so a couple problems. Yes. He won Best Actor. Yes. Certainly in for modern... For his supporting role. Yeah, exactly. In, in a modern movie, this would be considered a supporting role for sure. Yes. Beating out Henry Fonda. Yes. For the grapes are okay. Yes. That's what I was saying. <laughs> but I think what he's saying is true. I think, you know, as we talk about the Oscars, I think there's a lot of times when people win an Oscar and it's not yeah. necessarily for that role. It's for like, you should have won before. And yeah. so. But you also did really good work in this. Blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, I think, I don't think Jimmy Stewart is bad in this by any means. I think he's no. hysterical, honestly. But, yeah, um. shouldn't even been nominated for best actor is my problem. Should have been supporting. Yes. I would agree. And I do. Th I think he's probably right. He had been in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington the previous year and lost. Um, I'm assuming to Clark Gable. Yeah. And um, he felt that they like gave it to him because he should have won. Yeah, that's fair. I'm just surprised he was not. It's. I don't care about that. I'm just saying it's surprised they gave him to Best Picture. That's all. Our best uh, actor. actor. Yeah. Um. So what did you think of the Philadelphia story? You had not seen. Uh, this is one that I had seen prior to us watching it again. You're gonna be mad at me no don't say it yeah it was it was okay no because let me tell you Ugh. let me tell you why let me tell you if i had to give it the most plain reason why it's just an okay movie this is it the first half is bad the second half is good making it okay i could watch that second half 10 more times what what the do you first half is so boring bad jokes like the characters aren't who they or they're, they're not at their best it's like they had a rewrite it's like they're filming in order and they had a rewrite halfway through and the second half just takes off and is great. But the first half is so hard to sit through. So, okay. Like what, at what point do you think it turns and is okay? The night of the party. Okay. And getting, re you know, the remarriage, like everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, it becomes a whole different movie. It really does. Like the first half is so boring and it's like, it's, you get the same amount of exposition in the second half, but it flows so much better as you do in the first half. You know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah, I kind of see what you're saying. It takes a really long while to get through. I disagree. I mean... I think it's I think, I think it's funny throughout. 
I did see I don't. I thought it was so much funnier in the second well, half. Well it was funnier in the second but half. But not just because they were drunk or whatever. You know what I mean? It's sure. like it was just like it was like a totally different script. It really was to me. And the characters finally became like p- real people. Whereas like before they're just like, oh, I'm cool. Like that's what they sound like. That was a great Catherine Hepburn impression. Well, that, I was actually doing Cary Grant, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Like everyone's just cool and kind of like, oh, we're not going to really like let you know who we are and blah, blah, blah. I was just like, okay, great. Thank you. And then the second half is just like fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. But I can't give praise to half of a movie. So it's an okay movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> I mean, this is just my dumb opinion. So I know. I did really enjoy the second half. I I laughed so hard. I really really enjoyed it. But the first half had a lot of problems and a lot of like you know, a lot of things you know you wouldn't be okay with hearing today. You know. I mean that's for sure. I mean like the in the opening scene he like. I guess he doesn't punch her, but he like pushes her very forcefully to sure. the ground and by her okay. face. And everyone's like, "Oh, she's hurt." And the dad, you know, is crazy. The dad says some really so fucked up hard. things, and yeah. it's just like, I don't know. But then, like, the, all that like melts away in the second half, where like everybody's just at on their a game, and it's seriously like a different movie. I do think there is an uptick in the second part, although I would say I think um, the scene where they're like by the pool. In the first part, mm-hmm. I think is where it kind of starts to like get better. I like that whole. Maybe that is the transition. Scene. Okay, maybe that is the transition. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I love I love Catherine Hepburn first of all in general, and this is mm-hmm. like a very quintessential Catherine Hepburn role. Yeah. And what I mean, I'm a very shallow person. I'm just gonna like admit that wow, now. That's like hard. Hmm. That's that's a weird thing to say. Well, I'm just saying, and so like if someone just like looks fabulous that's gonna make me like appreciate a movie more and i just think that she looks so great in this movie and her costumes are so good it just like makes me very happy yeah well you like that kind of stuff i do i wouldn't say that makes you shallow well i'm just saying like if it's visually appealing to me i know I but you just like old hollywood glitz like i do glam like that's I do. that's so understandable it's ridiculous yeah um and i think that's a very good representation of it i just i like the i think that katherine hepburn uh, his great chemistry with James Stewart and also with Cary Grant, which I feel like really um, brings that whatever like love triangle, I guess you could call it. Although it's more like a love square because she's also engaged to someone else. Love square. Love it. <laughs> um, although he's like not important at all. You can tell by the fact that he's not played by someone. By like anybody <laughs> you would recognize. You've heard of. But, um, and I like it. And I liked too that, you know, you know, we were talking about, in a lot of these movies, people fall in love in like five seconds, and they're like, "You're gonna love my life," and I'm, mm-hmm. and I feel like it was like going that way, where like her and James Stewart are like, "Oh, oh, I love you," and blah blah, blah. but like that's not who she's supposed to end up with, James. You know what I mean? And yeah. then it's like, no, Cary Grant is the man that she loves. Yeah, she's just having a wild, she just yeah. weird night where, mm-hmm. I don't know. And I liked that though. I did too. I felt bad for James Stewart's girlfriend. I want to say really quick, yeah, for sure. I want to say really quick. See, uh, I think there was a switch in the story. And I actually liked James Stewart less in the second half. And Cary Grant, who I didn't really care for in the first half, I liked him way more in the second half. Mm-hmm. So there's almost like a switch in that role to me, where I thought like Cary Grant, like we weren't getting a lot out of him, but I was like, oh my God, James Stewart is funny. But then when he became drunk, like for a guy who was supposed to win a year before for Best Actor, like I find it very odd that he played like the stereotypical drunk. 
and I didn't find it that interesting. You're such a liar. What? You were laughing out loud at that scene. Don't try to act like you did not find that scene funny. I don't know. What scene are you talking about? Well, he's talking to Cary Grant and he's like hiccuping. That is the funny. No, no, no. That is funny. But it carried on throughout the rest of the film. It got a little old is what I'm saying. When Wait, it came, they're drunk when for it like came, half an hour in that movie. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I did like it at like, yes. No, immediately. I thought that was like, that's where I think the movie like really turned for me. I was like, this is getting great when mm-hmm. like they discover this like plot and like they go on, they're writing letters and you know, I love mm-hmm. that when they were working together. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I would agree it was really funny at first. But when we just get the same Jimmy Stewart, is just like, I'm just a movie. It's going to just talk like this, you know? I was just like, okay, it's getting a little old. I loved it. But Cary Grant as the straight man, like, oh, I loved it. It was good. I have a fun anecdote about that. Mm. When they started filming that scene, uh, Cary Grant didn't know that Jimmy Stewart was going to hiccup through it. <laughs> and so when he starts laughing, when he like looks down and starts laughing, that was literally just his reaction. And Seriously. they just like kept fil- like, like didn't stop. So they just like kept going through it and he kept hiccuping. That's great. Cause that was really good. It was really funny. I'm just saying like, I was a little disappointed that he played the same thing just for like 45 minutes of the movie. Like he that's what I was drunk through that part of the I know, movie. But Is he supposed so- to sober up all of a sudden? Okay. Listen, let's like, if you tell like a high school drama kid, like, Oh, you're drunk in this scene. They do the Jimmy Stewart in Okay, but the difference is Jimmy Stewart's very good at it. And he's funny because it's Jimmy Stewart. It's funny because he's a charming person and a good actor. Yeah, he's a charming person for sure. Are you saying Jimmy Stewart is not a good actor? I'm saying he's a good good actor. I I just wouldn't say like this him being drunk is like his best performance is what I'm saying. No, I don't think it's his best performance. I think it was one of the best performances in this film. Well, that's yeah, but that's not saying a lot. Okay, but it's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. But anyway. Uh, I mean, I loved it. I think it's a classic. Mm-hmm. And again, I like, you know, um, one, I think back then comedies did get maybe like a little bit more recognition just because they were more likely to award films that had done well at the box office, which comedies have a tendency to do. Sure. But I do think also opening up to 10 movies, lots more comedies in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the eight of comedies. I mean, I would definitely put this on, like, my top five movies from 1940. Okay. It doesn't sound like that. But okay. <laughs> that makes it mean that you really dislike some of these <laughs> movies. Uh, well, Rotten Tomato audience score of 93% mm. and a critic score of 100%. Um, at the box office, it made $3.3 million. Like I said, it was in the top 10. Here we go. List of honors this film has gotten. On AFI's original list of the best movies, it was ranked at number 51. On the 10th anniversary list, it moved up to 44. On its list of 100 Last, which is the best comedies, it's ranked number 15. On its list of 100 Passions, a.k.a. Love Stories, it's ranked at number 44. On their 10 Top 10, their list of romantic comedies, it's listed at number 5. And on its list of 100 Greatest Stars, uh, Catherine Hepburn is ranked number 1, Cary Grant is number 2, and James Stewart is number 3. I thought Betty Davis was on. Was number they two. have lists for women and men. So Catherine Hepburn's the oh, top woman, and then Cary okay. Grant was number two, and Jim Stewart was number three. Okay. Um, and it was added to the U.S. National Film Registry in 1995, which is cool. the first year. Really, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So other people love it. I mean, it's. I mean, obviously, it's like more likely that I'm wrong than all these other people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. So our other little comedy that we need to talk about is The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin. 
synopsis, dictator Adenoid Heinkel tries to expand his empire while a poor Jewish barber tries to avoid persecution from Heinkel's regime. I think that's a fair synopsis. Yeah, it's good. Charlie Chaplin. Um, Do you want to start talking about it? You want me to start? Yeah, you can go ahead. Um, Well, one, this is the first Charlie Chaplin movie I've seen. I've seen, obviously, like, snippets of some of his stuff from, like, the Little Tramp stuff. Um, This is the first, like, full Charlie Chaplin movie I've ever seen. And I really loved it. Like, absolutely loved it. I think... Um, I think a lot of the stuff holds up because a lot of his comedy is obviously physical comedy, which I think has a tendency to to hold up better than, you know, like situational comedy or something like that because it's all just visual. And you can definitely tell he's an actor and director who is more comfortable in silent um, working in the silent medium because a lot of like the whole like beginning part, you know, with the um, like I don't know, like the bomb thing, the missile that they were trying to launch is like one of the funniest things ever. And again, there's like no talking. And then there's like the, he does this whole like barber thing, which is kind of very reminiscent of his little tramp character. Um, which that whole thing is silent. The whole like thing with when he's playing Heinkel with the globe, the like world Mm. that he's like doing the whole dance. I just think that those like visual comedic things hold up very well over time absolutely timeless yes i have not seen a lot of charlie chaplin stuff myself but uh, i think the like the the him on the curtain and saying leave me i wish to be alone and then yeah. the globe scene is and like one of the greatest scenes in history so mm-hmm. um i mean i have some more thoughts on it i thought it was obviously a really fun movie it was a really good movie mm-hmm. i should say like it was a great film um he's great in it the choreography is fantastic I truly loved it. I truly loved it. I, I mean, I do have some negative things to say about it, but we'll wait on that. Okay. Um, I think we should also like point out the obvious too, that this was a comedy that was quite clearly being based on Adolf Hitler, uh, which is interesting. And again, this is 1940. This is before anyone yeah, really before knew. our involvement. Yes. Um, I have some fun facts that kind of like, talk about that okay yeah so charlie chaplin saw triumph of the will which is a famous propaganda film that the nazis made and found it hysterical and he used it as the starting point for his satire the okay. great dictator so mm-hmm. he like he saw triumph of the will and was like this is fucking funny mm-hmm. i'm gonna make this um they began filming in 1939 a week after germany invaded poland the official start to world war ii and finished six months later the ending of the film was changed to include the final speech as a response to the invasion of france yeah yeah so i do think like they started it and it wasn't like the war hadn't really kicked in very much yet so it was and then i think when they were finishing he's like i need to say something yeah i don't think it was as gruesome as they thought it was yeah um I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they underestimated how gruesome the situation really was, is what yeah. I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah. And I will say there's um, a representation of a concentration camp in this film. Yeah. So there's not well, a, a worker camp. Yes. Which they didn't yes. realize. That's just yeah, it. They didn't so. realize what was happening in those camps yeah. until the war ended and they went in there. So. Yeah. Um, as the premiere approached, Charlie Chaplin had good reason to be concerned about his gamble on political commentary. Gallup polls revealed that 96% of Americans opposed U.S. involvement in the war in Europe, and threatening letters from Nazi sympathizers poured into the studio. 
At one point, he even asked a friend with the Longshoremen's Union in New York if they could have some type of union members present at the opening to prevent a pro-Nazi demonstration. Whoa. So there was like very there was little reason to think that people would be accepting of his mockery. Of yeah, Hitler. yeah. Which obviously they were because I mean I think this was like what was it the number three movie? I it was like in the top five movies of the year. But I mean that could also just be because Charlie Chaplin was probably like one of the biggest stars. Yo, for sure. I mean that has everything to do with it, right? And then but also it had all this probably news coverage around it, and it was going to be this like weird, you know? Yeah, and I think balancing act, but. Yeah, so they started filming in 1939 when it first started. I think by 1940 when it came out, like, maybe people, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe people what? Had different views about it. Oh. I don't know. Well, I think either way they were going to see this controversial movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, After the war and the post-war Red Scare. After the war. (laughs) (laughs) See, I love Hamilton. Yeah. Um, So, like, kind of, like, before the war people were very anti-communist and then like during the war when we were allied with russia we kind of had like like no guys russia isn't that bad don't worry about it and then as soon as we were done we were like no guys we hate the communists don't forget about that and then there was the huge mccarthyism blah blah blah. so in during that red scare the final speech from the film was deemed an overt call to communism and that coupled with uh, chaplin's escalating political involvement after the film made him a target for anti-communism groups in general and j edgar hoover in particular mm. um and the result was chaplin being exiled from the united states for two decades no shit yes he was he couldn't come back to america for 20 years yes until he got like a lifetime achievement award at the oscars and that's when he came back in like the 70s so it's like three decades. Well, I think it was like the fifties when he left. Oh, okay. So it's like this started the yeah, this like started this like made him a target, a target for it. Yeah. And I mean, um, because he gave one of like the greatest speeches in cinematic history. Yeah, but it's very you know like down with authority and like workers' rights and like people's rights and the poor. You know what I mean? Which then Sticking was a big problem. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, he was. He basically he like left because I mean he's not um he's English. And so he, I mean, he had citizenships in England. So he left to do something and essentially they were like, don't come back. Damn. And he was like, fine. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, which I find that interesting. This is my favorite little tidbit and I can't verify that it is okay. 100% true, but I want to live in a world where it is. I true. would honestly say, don't take anything we say as 100% true. That's probably good. Yeah. I, yeah. Should open up with that every podcast. Probably. Yes. Um, we are not experts. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Adolf Hitler, this part is true, was a known movie buff. He loved movies. And he watched a movie almost every night throughout World War II. Oh. Priorities. Um, and then he would write down his thoughts on the movie. He had like a log where he'd like he had a screening room and his little Shut up. Yes, he had like and he would write down his thoughts on movies. Um, he rated Tarzan bad. And he loved Mickey Mouse so much that in Christmas of 1937, uh, Goebbels gave him 12 Mickey Mouse films. That's awesome. It's adorable. Can you just like picture him like opening it up and be like, ah. Oh, Goebbels. <laughs> you know me. Um, so although The Great Dictator was banned in Germany for obvious reasons, a member of Hitler's inner, inner circle claims that he did see it. In fact, the rumor is that it's the only movie he watched twice and the only movie he did not record his thoughts on. No way. Yes. All right. That's a really cool story. Um, bigger question. Yes. 
Is this log like reprinted in any form? I feel like it must be because people do have like, like I was going through like a gallery of like things that he'd written about different movies. Oh shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Where to send me that. Okay. I'll try to find it again. Yes. I just love the idea of him like watching it and then being like, is that about me? I I need to watch this again. (laughs) Hmm. I'm noticing some similarities. About an hour in. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute here. And I feel like there's a good chance also that he was probably a Charlie Chaplin fan. Oh, sure. Given his facial hair yes, choice. Absolutely. <laughs> so he was probably like, no, Charlie likes me. Yeah. We could be friends. Maybe not. <laughs> that's funny. So I just, I don't know if that's true. I would like it to be true. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? But yeah, I think that this, you know, when I'm looking at movies and how the movies from this decade and this time and how they've held up now, I think that this movie holds up really well, not only because the comedy, I think, translates well, but I also think it's still saying things that are relevant today about people in power. Oh, absolutely. Um, Like I like that scene I'm talking about where he's like um, playing with the world, essentially, I think is like such a great metaphor for what these it's, leaders it's do one of the greatest scenes it is ever. it's great um yeah and i also so later in his life charlie chaplin i think in his memoir that he published in like the 60s or something he basically said that if he had known what was actually going on in europe at the time he never would have made this movie yeah because it pokes fun and stuff but it made me think um of another film and musical that pokes fun at hitler called the producers oh and um it made me so like during when mel brooks was doing uh press for both that movie and then the subsequent musical that came out more recently he said a lot of stuff um that i think kind of applies this too and he said this a lot but this is the one quote that i pulled from a 60 minutes from 2001 that mel brooks said so hitler was part of this incredible idea that you could put jews in concentration camps and kill them how do you get even with the man how do you get even with him? You have to bring him down with ridicule because if you stand on a soapbox and match him with rhetoric, you're just as bad as he is. But if you can make people laugh at him, then you're one up on him. It's been one of my lifelong jobs to make the world laugh at Adolf Hitler. That's cool. I like that. And I think that that is what makes the great dictator kind of important too, yeah. even today. Yeah. Because I think like Hitler, Hitler obviously was a terrible human being. Like that's an understatement. But I do think it's important too. like, I think if we like continue to hold him out up as this like example of pure evil and all this stuff, it does kind of give him the power that he would have wanted to begin with. Whereas if we like point out that he was also an idiot and it was funny and he was just like a fool, it kind of takes away that power in a way. And obviously I think the difference too, though, a little bit is Mel Brooks is Jewish and Charlie Chaplin is not. That's like one difference, but I still think it's important to do. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about it? Uh, just I think the film falls short for a while when they introduce the Mussolini type character. Yeah. I really think it hits a it hits a wall and doesn't really recover for a while. I agree. It was probably it felt a little too long yeah, at times. Yeah, they could have lost that that twenty minutes and I feel like it would have been such a better movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still great, obviously. And I also think some of the stuff, um, it kind of feels like individual sketches. They've just kind of that have similar themes, and they've just kind of like pushed together to make a film. Yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of like cohesion in a way. But for sure, 
Um, Rotten Tomatoes audience score ninety five percent. Yeah. Critic Chris score one hundred ninety two. Oh wow. Some Nazis. <laughs> viewers, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I don't know. Um, well, it made you Richard Brody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Uh, at the box office, it made five million dollars. On AFI's list of 100 laughs, it ranked number 37. On their list of the 100 greatest stars, Charlie Chaplin is ranked at number 10. Um, and then on Sight and Sound's list of the 250 best movies, it's ranked at number 144. And it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry in 1997. Cool. So. Yeah. All right. We're good. All right. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to talk about... The John Ford pictures. First up, the long voyage home. Abroad. 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 It's a long podcast, guys. Okay. Aboard the freighter Glencairn, the lives of the crew are lived out in fear, loneliness, suspicion, and camaraderie. The men smuggle, drink, and. You didn't mess anything up. Yes, I did. You said smuggle, drink. I and know, but it's smuggle, drink, and women. No, I heard smuggle, comma, drink. That's not how it's written. Oh. Oh. Okay, I gotcha. That's what I'm saying. Okay, you're right. Because they don't really smuggle like illegal goods. No. They smuggle drink and women into... Yeah. Yeah. Abroad, yeah. Yeah. Abroad. I can't say abroad. Abroad. Okay. <laughs> abroad. Oh, my God. All right. Why don't we just take it from the top? Okay. A one and a two and a one, two, three, four. The Long Voyage Home by John Ford. Was it the audiobook? Yeah. <laughs> That's my reading rainbow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Long Voyage Home by John Ford. Aboard the freighter Glencairn. <laughs> you want me to read it? Like, no. I just like, I kept thinking about how I couldn't say aboard, and then even though I said it correctly this time, it made me laugh. Okay. <clears throat> the Long Voyage Home. By John Ford. The Long Voyage Home by John Ford. <clears throat> Aboard the freighter Glencairn. <laughs> <laughs> I like when we just have five movies. <laughs> We'd be done. <laughs> That's true. Okay. <clears throat> the Long Voyage Home by John. <laughs> this break didn't help. We're like punchier than we were before. I know. Okay. So let's talk about John Ford. Okay. First up. The Long Voyage Home. Would you like me to read a synopsis of The Long Voyage Home? Debbie? No, I got it. Okay. <clears throat> Aboard the freighter Glencairn, the lives of the crew are lived out in fear, loneliness, suspicion, and camaraderie. The men smuggle drink and women aboard, fight with each other, spy on each other, comfort each other as death approaches, and rescue each other from danger. It's a very poetic synopsis. You did a great job. Thank you. Seventeenth <laughs> time is the charm. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Don't you think that's a nice synopsis? Yeah, it's a poetic uh, movie, so. That's true. That's true. Um, well, the film did poorly in its theatrical release. No way, really. It lost $224,336, wow. which is very exact, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> some critics suggested that the film failed to appeal to the general public because it was too dark and lacked a romance, uh, which is fair. It didn't have those things. Yeah. It's very dark. It's based on four one-act plays by Eugene O'Neill. Greg Toland was the cinematographer on the film. He was also the cinematographer on Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. I don't know if you've heard of that. 
and is justly famous for his striking use of the deep focus technique. Um, that's in quotations. I don't know why. A technique he abundantly displays here as well as in Wells's film. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's fun. This is fun. Fun fact. This is technically both the first World War II film and the first war film directed by John Ford. Wow. So, so the film is set during World War II. Um, it kind of mentions that a few times. Yeah. And then Ford's later movie, They Were Expendable, from 1945, is Ford's first major war feature and the first major World War II movie feature. Sure, because he was, he was busy during the war working for the U.S. government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He served. He was like a captain or something, right? Yeah. Well, he was in charge of filming, <clears throat> like documenting the, oh, the okay. war. Yeah. So, so they made some stuff for like, not propaganda is the wrong word, but just like, you know, promotional materials and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I was reading a thing like he... Him and John Wayne obviously were like very good friends, but he had a lot of problem with the fact that John Wayne didn't serve in World War II. Mm. And he made some movie after World War II. It was like start a bunch of people. And like in the opening credits, he put everyone's army rank in front of their name. Really? And then John Wayne didn't have one. And John Wayne was like very hurt by it, but they like Dang. didn't speak loud. <laughs> that is, man, that's, that's shady. Yeah. Shit, <laughs> um, last fun fact. Producer Walter Wagner contracted with Reeves Lowenthal, the director of the American Associated Artists Gallery in Manhattan, to have nine of its artists go out to Hollywood during the filming and paint scenes from the movie and portraits of the actors in character as a publicity stunt for the film. The paintings were featured in Life magazine, and after an exhibition that opened in New York City in August of 1940, went on to tour 23 museums across America. That's awesome. Isn't that actually. really cool? Yeah. I couldn't find, like, pictures of them. Oh, wow, that sucks. Really? Yeah. Dang. I didn't try very cool. hard, but, Yeah. I, I know. Own, I, I want to own one. You know what? New life goal. Own one of them. Yeah, let's do it. Maybe like a like a reproduction. No, a okay. real one. Sure. Gotta steal it. Well, let's not publish <laughs> that. Let's cut that out then. Um, but I think that's interesting because I think this is a very visually interesting movie. So the fact that they like kind of latched onto that early and yeah, like, we need for to sure. share these visuals. I think. Oh, absolutely. I think that's. I think that's very true. There's. It's. It's very much a slow burn. Like, I think the fact that with watching all of these other movies and having some kind of romantic plot, this almost stood out like a sore thumb and not having one like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's basically it's basically all men. In fact, women just cause trouble when they show up. Um, they're all prostitutes. Yeah, they're all. But pro- they're not called prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, Thank no, you, they Mr. Sure, Hayes. They sure, <laughs> they sure are. Um, but they are, you know, they're they are sex it. workers of the day. And, uh, yeah, it's just a story dealing with, you know, loss and alcoholism. Like, alcoholism being a huge, playing a huge role in this movie. Yeah. And I think it's just a cause, you know, one cause of of a lot of lost souls from people at the time and people especially in time to come. It definitely affects all of the characters in one way or another in this film. And I don't know if that's through... Eugene O'Neill's four plays or not, or if that's, you know, what John Ford wanted to accomplish. But in at the end of the day, this is still a very dark movie um, featuring uh, likable characters that we may already know, we like we already know in some way. But in the end, nothing's really, nothing really ends happy here. No, this is probably one of the darker movies I've seen of any era. Yeah. A very bleak outlook on life. Um, which, but I find that interesting. I, I can see why that maybe didn't do well in 1940, especially when, um, things were kind of 
bleak on their own like we were about to enter a world war you know like things yeah. like maybe people wanted funnier entertainment yeah it's really stuck out mm-hmm. as something different at the time yeah i do think you know it's based on four one act plays and i do think you can definitely like if it doesn't feel like they melded it all together it really feels like four separate stories about the same the same characters crew. yeah yes i absolutely agree um but i kind of liked that i liked you know it's just kind of like here's one story about something that affected these people and here you know what i mean yeah um there were some stories you know that i liked more than others i really um enjoyed the one where they like thought that the the guy was a, a spy. spy yeah i liked that a lot yeah, um, very well done yeah, that was probably my favorite of the, like the four yeah things. But over, I mean, I you like sad things a lot more than I do. Yeah. But I still, I really, I just found this very interesting. I think that you know, when we're looking at movies that have held up and haven't held up, I think that it's the movies, the movies that play better now, are probably the movies that didn't play as well back then. Sure. Because I mean, this doesn't, it doesn't fit in with other movies from nineteen forty. It's not like you put it up against Kitty Foyle or All Those in Heaven too, or like whatever, like. It seems yeah. very ahead of its time, which makes it more palatable, I think, today than it was sure. when it came out. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. Although I would say the, the primary thing that hurts this movie is the uh, the casting choices with all of these, you know, American actors. Playing non-Americans. With terrible Irish stereotypical accents. Well, some of them are, some of, they all have different accents. There's a lot of Irish and English and then oh. Italian uh, Oh yeah, and, and then and then there's the Swede, and then John Wayne yeah. playing a Swede. <laughs> uh, Ooh, I guess he was very nervous about it. I'll like, go home been. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Sweden. <laughs> like, I'll have a yinyer beer. Yinyer beer, please. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't seen the long voyage home, that's exactly what John Wayne sounds like. <laughs> Playing sweet, playing Ollie Olsen. I mean, all you really have to picture is John Wayne. Yes. Very famous voice. Yes. Doing a shitty Swedish accent. Sounding exactly like John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But mispronouncing <laughs> things. Uh, but I, that is the most, like, if there's one distracting element that takes out, that takes me out and puts it in a certain place in time, mm-hmm. it is that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's not, the, it's not the casting choices as far as, like, the actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's their choices and they're you know actually i gotta say that that's wrong no it is the actors i'm sorry the actors are the problem i'm not saying like i'm mad john wayne was cast in it no. i'm just mad john wayne played a swede but like obviously this this movie would have probably played better if they just cast actors from or you just cast actors that could do a better swedish accent just not even a just not such an offensive one of any of these accents. Like, that is the thing. Like, they're so yeah. just like, oh, blame me, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, oh, God. Yeah. I will say, though, like, John Wayne is listed as, is like, top build on this movie. Yeah. But by no means do I think that he's the star of this movie. Yeah. I he's don't, like, is there a star? Mm, no. Maybe Driscoll. Like, I play yeah, Driscoll. Driscoll. Like, because he, I mean, I feel like what he is, if this is based on four one act plays, he's like the character that bounces throughout them all. Yeah, he plays like a pretty. So it's not pivotal that he's like a main character, it, yeah. but it's just like you know what I mean. He's just the character that kind of is the connecting thread mm-hmm. between the four stories. And he has the saddest ending. I know. Which we won't get into because I do actually. That was probably too much of a spoiler. No, it wasn't. I would actually recommend this movie though. They so. have no idea what they even the last part is about, but um. But uh. 
we both just said but uh no i mean again like i think this this is a movie i literally would never have watched in a million years if it wasn't for this podcast because yeah i had never even heard of it honestly no, I, I feel and i don't um, you know like looking when you look over like the movies that john ford is best known for i don't even think this comes up in like the top 10 you know what i mean like this isn't one that he's remembered for really no. well he's mostly remembered for his westerns i would well, say well yeah i would agree which this is not no. but but like his collaboration here with greg toland is just i mean it's phenomenal to look at oh yeah it's filmed beautiful and there's some shots in there that it's just like astounding yeah when you compare it to other things that were happening yeah i some of i don't even like i just don't even know how they did it and yeah. that's crazy because that was yeah seven eight almost 80 years ago <laughs> you know it's interesting because like now i think you know special effects and stuff they can get away with doing more like digital stuff and yeah. they can like it's like shorts and stuff but like back then they were really being like innovative and like finding ways to get the look that they wanted of things oh yeah you know and i feel like that's honestly like more impressive to me than being like oh we're gonna just like digitally add this thing and yeah they were like, we're going to like just put this camera in the water and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, they did, they really did a lot of cool stuff. It is a, it is a marvelous film to look at. Um, I don't know if they worked a lot together. I know they worked a lot together that year. Yes. So I look forward to talking about them again. But I really think that was a great collaboration. Mm-hmm. And uh, did Greg Tolan, did he win this year? No. No, he didn't. He was he. he he was nominated for cinematography for this movie, though. Yeah. And not Grapes of Wrath, but he didn't win. But I'm pretty sure he probably won the next year. Yeah, I think he won, <laughs> might have won the next year. <laughs> Maybe. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about it? Uh, no, I would just highly recommend it. Yes, I would, too. Um, not if you're, like, sad, because that's not going to help you. But um, if you like sad things, you should watch it. <laughs> you might like movie. <laughs> um, the Rotten Tomato audience. Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 72%, critic score of 100%. Um, box office made $580,000, which is not, like I said, it lost yeah, a lot yeah, of money. Yeah. Um, and it's not really listed on a lot of lists, although on the list of AFI's 100 Greatest Stars, John Wayne is listed at number 13. That doesn't count. I'm just letting you They're know. They're not referring to his role in A Long Voyage Home. You don't know. You <laughs> don't know. All right, so let's talk about John Ford's other picture that was nominated and that he won best director for uh, the grapes of wrath synopsis a poor midwest family is forced off their land they travel to california suffering the misfortunes of the homeless and the great depression that sums it up about right yeah that's pretty much what it is it's mm-hmm. based on the pulitzer prize winning novel by john steinbeck uh daryl zanuck was nervous about the film he's the producer reading as too pro-communist and sent private investigators to oklahoma after determining that things were pretty terrible there, he felt like he could defend any political attacks against the movie, um, which it didn't really get many, likely because um, it helped that the communist fears were kind of put on the back burner during World War II. However, the pro-union stance of the film led to both John Steinbeck and John Ford being investigated by Congress during the McCarthy Red Scare era for alleged pro-communist leanings. Dude, fuck all of that. I'm just letting you know what happened. That's just that's just so frustrating. It is very frustrating. Okay. Uh, John Ford banned all makeup and perfume from the set on the grounds that it was not in keeping with the tone of the picture. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just read that Christopher Nolan banned water bottles on Dunkirk because they're annoying. 
It's like I'm tired <laughs> of you guys flipping that shit. Like just stop. It's like they're a distraction. They pop during taste, which I totally understand yeah. that. I hate when some like they pop and they scare the shit out of me. So yeah. I get that. But I thought that was interesting. And then cell phones, obviously. They didn't have to worry about that in John Ford's time though. No, no, no. If they had him, he probably would have banned him though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when Daryl Zanuck suggested to John Ford to create an upbeat ending, um, and he used Majo's "Where the People" monologue for a closing scene, Ford told Zanuck to direct it himself, which he did. It makes sense. Yes. Uh, fun Oscar fact in conjunction with this film: Henry Fonda currently holds the record for longest gap between Oscar nominations. His first nomination was for *The Grapes of Wrath* in 1940. And his second was for On Golden Pond in 1981, wow. 41 years later. Wow. He also, um, those are just acting nominations. He was nominated as a producer for 12 Angry Men in 1957. Cool. Yeah. That's, uh, that's The Grapes of Wrath. Excellent. Did you like The Grapes of Wrath, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I really, I mean, I was surprised. I've ne- you know, I've never seen this movie and I, oh my God, I enjoyed it. I've seen a lot of clips in school. Um, which finally came together and actually seeing the whole thing. And I just really, really appreciate it. And we were talking the other night, you know, this is, again, this is another collaboration between John Ford and Greg Tolan, the cinematographer. We were talking the other night that like, I could not believe he didn't one win best cinematography for this movie, mm-hmm. let alone even get nominated. Yeah. Um, which, because there's just certain things that are, again, if we can go back to using like ahead of its time. Oh, so uh, ahead of its time. What's that? So ahead of its time. Yeah. Where they just did not use lights in a lot of things and use like candlelight. Um, it's also some of the best black and white I've seen in a really long time. And that could be, we, we might have, because it's been on Criterion. It clearly went through a restoration process. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm not giving everything its fair due, but this is just like one of the most gorgeous scenes I've ever seen. And I think, again, there was like a lot of... Uh, inventiveness in his cinematography for this film that i feel may have been off-putting to the to the cinematographers who voted on the oscar nominations for best cinematography i feel like they might have been like well he didn't do anything but his like not doing anything was so much more progressive than Mm -hmm. than doing the typical things that these cinematographers do so i like i understand their reasoning if this is even true by any means right (laughs) yeah i understand it but I think Greg Tolan should certainly should certainly be remembered for his work on Grapes of Wrath. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think this is a really uh, visually interesting film. I know John Ford has like famously he says something about like you just need to all you need to worry about when you're directing is like the, the actor's eyes. Um, so I think it helps that Henry Fonda has like gorgeous eyes. <laughs> Fair, yeah. um but i do i think that this movie holds up so well you know like a lot of times i think when we're watching these movies the movies that hold up better are the comedies just because i think comedy is a little bit more universal than than dramas are because i think um in the 40s and 50s there was a tendency to be more melodramatic like that was just the style the dramas were sure in, yeah and that sort of thing this is the first movie that we've been watching from these like earlier eras where i was emotionally like i cried at this movie yeah because i just think that like it's so well done and i do think again it was ahead of its time you look at like the performances that other people were giving where it's like very obviously rooted in theater and kind of like over the top in a way that like it was that was just the acting style then but i don't 
the acting in here is not like it's that. Not. It just and that makes it feel more real. Yeah. Um, and then makes it translate, I think, better to modern audiences. And I also think it also holds up so well because it's still, I think, very representative of how poor people are treated in this country. Oh, absolutely. And I think you can still see plenty of parallels to the way that, you know, rural communities are being um, treated now where, like, jobs are disappearing. And or even, um, you know, race-wise. Yes. Like, yes, it's all white people in this movie, like... You can see the parallels to now how we treat different communities and right, yeah, country. The yeah, absolutely. I don't think you know. I think if you, I think people can watch this movie today and still see aspects of modern life. Absolutely, which is very upsetting in a way because it's like shouldn't we have progressed beyond this at some point? Again, in like eighty years, yeah. Right. Um, but we haven't. So I mean, which does make it. I mean, it's a very sad like even as much as they're like oh we're gonna have this upbeat ending with ma jode giving her speech it's like oh it's still a, a downer it's not a yeah you know but it's real and like yes. again it's it's so odd that you would see that then and you know i already talked about how it's a progressive movie and just the cinematography but i think it's progressive in so many other ways too where it's like yeah it wasn't the fact that no makeup right mm-hmm. the fa- yeah the fact that no makeup the fact limited light they, they were showing america in a more realistic fashion than just Hollywooding it up. Right. Right. And like, did this movie do well at the box office? Yeah. It was in the top 10. Yeah. Like I just feel like this is a more accurate representation of America at the time than them constantly seeing movies starring Catherine Hepburn and like what craziness she's up to or what, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Like I feel like it might've been scary for people and almost like one of the first wide release documentaries. Right. Like, right. Like, I mean, cause this was, I mean the fact that like Daryl Zanuck like sent people out, to check and like this was still happening to people in Oklahoma like it was people were still yeah. migrating out west to where we're being displaced and, like in yeah, this, this movie is still came out. very fresh yeah all of it regardless you know what mm-hmm. I mean like because I mean <clears throat> the only thing that really pulled America out of the Great Depression was World War II and we hadn't even entered it yet so yeah things were still not great for American workers mm-hmm. um and the performances I just want to say well one I do I agree with you that Henry Fonda should have won yeah for this movie because his performance is like it's just unlike and like maybe that was the problem because it's not what people were used that's to that's what i'm so worried about everything with this movie although they did give john Ford best director which i yeah. think is i think is their way of saying that right like yeah um but yeah so um jane darwell who played ma jode won for best supporting actress and i could not agree with that more like you know when i said i cried this movie the line where he's like leaving and she says like aren't you gonna say goodbye I just like burst into tears because it was like the sweetest. Like yeah. I don't know, it was beautiful, and I think her performance was so good. She was great. That's like what grounded the film was like her just like trying to keep that family together. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, in a matriarchal society, you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. it worked on every single level. <coughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved her. Mm-hmm. I and love that, that family. And it also made me think because I mean, like she she looks very much like a like a mother you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and probably because there wasn't makeup and stuff like that she looked she just looked so un-hollywood even today like i I was like if they remade grapes of wrath today they would cast like i don't know, like even like meryl streep is like so much more glamorous than jane darrell was yeah. in this movie you know what i mean it's like Ooh, i'd want i'd want uh, what's her name margo martindale yeah she'd be good, That'd be good. but like i just that. don't think that's who would get the parts you know what i mean yeah. they would give it to someone who's like 
four sizes smaller with like i don't know i just love marissa tomei right (laughs) she's playing aunt what's the name of her aunt aunt may Ugh. but i just love that (laughs) what was that this is my feeling on ageism i was trying to give like you i was trying to give like you know a very fit smaller actor but who had a little bit of age to her yeah i mean that's what they would do though do you know what i mean i really think that's what they would do and i love that that's not what happened here and like yeah henry fonda is better looking than like most average okies but like but i believe it all worked i believed it for sure 100 percent. yeah um also whoever the actor is that played his uncle should have been nominated oh yeah he was great he was so good i think that's the caradine oh really yeah and he's caradine's dad okay uh, he worked with John Ford a lot, although apparently they like hated each other. <laughs> oh no, I thought Carradine was uh, the priest. Oh no, I don't think so. Maybe that guy was good though. He was super good. Like, what an interesting look. We were just talking about that. Yeah, was I wrong? No. Okay. I think you're right. No, you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Oh, okay. Sorry. Like I said, we don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, Carradine. Carradine is the priest. Oh jim casey right yeah yeah that's okay well, whatever you know we're, again we're not a hundred percent no on this podcast apparently john ford though was like a very uh not nice director he was a very not nice director yeah okay that was a very not good sentence yeah <laughs> Honestly, he was like very like tough on his actors and he I've, didn't I've believe in so like multiple well. takes or like he didn't no he's just like you got it Oh. They were like, well, I'd like I, to do it again. He's like, no. I respect them. <laughs> it's like, we got stuff to do. I don't have <laughs> yeah. time for this. I'm trying to get home early tonight. Yeah, like, uh, Game's on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Grapes of Wrath. Honestly, I, cannot, I wish I could talk about his representation of the book, but I have not read it. I'm sorry. Um, no. I did truly love this movie, though, and I hope it did some justice to to Steinbeck's original source material. I believe he was happy with the good the version. So good. Um, as were audiences. Rotten Tomatoes audience score of eighty eight percent. Okay. Critic score of one hundred percent. On the original AFI list of the one hundred greatest movies, it was ranked at number twenty one. On the anniversary list, ten years later, it dropped to number twenty three. Hmm. Tom Joad is listed at number twelve on their list of the greatest heroes in film. Oh, that's cool. On its list of um, most inspirational movies, 100 Cheers, it's ranked at number seven. Um, on its list of 100 stars, Henry Fonda is ranked at number six. And Sight and Sound's list of the 250 best movies, it was ranked at number 183. And it was one of the first 25 films to be selected for preservation in the United Nations, United States National Film Registry by awesome. the Library of Congress. In 95? Yep. Cool. And at the box office, it made $2.5 million. Good. I'm glad to see because again, it's not a, it's not exactly a happy movie. No, it's a dark movie that did well in a time where, you know, it's, things were about to change and every nothing was about to, was allowed to be dark in the next couple of years. You know what I mean? Yeah, during the war. Um, yeah. so it really came out at a really pivotal time where if I don't think it would have been made for years to come. So probably not the same team, obviously. I mean, Tolan died in '48, so oh really? They wouldn't have had him for sure. Yeah. Was he old then? Now he's forty in his forties when he died. Yeah, um. blood clot. 
that'll get you yeah too young too young to go but uh yeah i'm really it came out at a time where yeah if it would have came out any earlier it might have been too soon if it came out later it might not have been made so mm-hmm. i'm really i'm really glad that it, it, the team got to touch it who did so mm-hmm. very cool um yeah and i think it is a movie that probably like obviously it's um a critically acclaimed movie so it's a good chance people have already seen it but if you haven't recommending very much so all right let's talk about the master of suspense alfred hitchcock first up foreign correspondent (laughs) on the eve of world war ii a young american reporter tries to expose enemy agents in london um i'm going to read some fun facts kyle's walked away from this podcast (laughs) this film had an unusually large number of writers and i'm going to name them for you now Robert Benchley, Charles Bennett, Harold Clerman, Joan Harrison, Ben Hecht, James Hilton, John Howard Lawson, John Lee Mahane, Richard Maybaum, and Bud Schulberg. Uh, with Bennett, Benchley, Harrison, and Hilton, the only writers credited on the finished film. Producer Walter Wagner bought the rights to journalist, journalist Vincent Sheehan's memoir, Personal History, in 1935, but after several adaptations proved unsatisfactory, Wanger allowed the story to stray significantly from the book. It took numerous writers and five years before they had a script he was satisfied with, by which time Hitchcock was in the United States under contract with David O. Selznick and available to direct the film on a loan out. Huh. After the film wrapped, Hitchcock visited his native England and returned on July 3rd to report that it was expected that the Germans would begin bombing London at any time. To accommodate this, Ben Hecht was called in to write the epilogue of the film, the scene in the radio station, which replaced the original end sequence in which the two characters discussed the events of the film on a transatlantic seaplane trip. So they kind of added in that part where London's getting bombed because London was being bombed at that time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um... Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels called foreign correspondent a masterpiece of propaganda, a first-class production which no doubt will make a certain impression upon the broad masses of people in enemy countries. That's kind of a compliment, right? I hope they pulled that, like a pull quote on the yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Goebbels approves. (laughs) Goebbels gives it two thumbs up. (laughs) That's hilarious because I mean it seems it's like negative and then like positive it's weird yeah it's a good movie it's just like come on guys it's just like you know alternative facts but yeah. it was good <laughs> it was good i enjoyed it you probably, probably watched it with hitler the, the fear <laughs> the fear is a big fan okay <laughs> <laughs> he won't stop talking about it um <laughs> he prefers rebecca but you know he, th- he thought he thought yeah. was, you know he doesn't think it's hitchcock's best work yes. but <laughs> he put it in there what did you think of foreign correspondent? Do you agree with Goebbels? I do. I thought it was really well. I mean, just to <laughs> to recap, <laughs> Kyle agrees with Goebbels. That's the pull quote for this episode. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh uh, no, uh, I do think it's a very good movie. Um, uh, um, uh, I really, I really did enjoy this movie. Actually, I thought it flew by. I thought the dialogue was witty. Mm-hmm and fun i thought the set pieces were great um i would have to disagree with the fear and say i think this was actually the better hitchcock movie of this year um okay i don't think i don't think rebecca what we're gonna talk about deserved to win best picture which we'll get to sure uh but i do think this was the better alfred hitchcock movie of the year i think it's uh 
I think it's also more aligned with some of Hitchcock's better works, too. Uh, yeah. But either way, again, this movie just flowed really well, had some really intense scenes, um, mm-hmm. really great acting, like some great performances. Um, and they just did so many amazing things that, like, overall, like, if, you, if, if this had a checklist, it's just, like, check everything that makes a movie interesting. And it hit just about every single one of them. Yes. I really enjoyed Ford and Correspondent. And I had never seen it again before until tonight, until we watched it for this. But mm-hmm. uh, definitely one I'll revisit in the future. Yeah. Um, I had never seen it either. Um, and I did. I liked it. Um, I think, obviously, you know, like, Alfred Hitchcock is the master of suspense. And you can definitely, like, see that in here. Like, the scene um, when they're in, like, the windmill thing he's like sneaking in without them seeing him like i think that's one of the most masterfully done like suspenseful because it's literally just him like walking upstairs but you're really it's very very well done obviously and um i like that i liked the end set piece with the plane crash and it was just we watched this on um filmstruck which has like all the it's a criterion collection film and one of its special features was talking about um how they did some of the special effects in this movie, um, like the plane crash, which was very interesting to see because it is very, I mean, I don't know any other director that would have been able to pull that off the way that the plane, like it's, it's obviously like a projection that they're like on a screen. So they have like the nose of the plane and then there's like a projection of a, of water that they're like getting closer and closer to. And then when they're about to hit, they had the rigged up these tanks of water that then come crashing through the windows of the plane. Which, when they, like, slow it down, you can see, like, where the screen rips. Absolutely. But, but when you're you in the, would never yeah, notice Yeah, in the movie, watching, you don't notice because you know. you're just like, whoa. Because, like, you can clearly tell it's filmed waves. That's not real. But then all yeah. of a sudden, there's real water rushing into the cockpit. For the time, I'm sure real audiences, like, shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Because it's it's a lot going on, especially for the time. And, uh, yeah, executed so incredibly well. And, I, and like, Hitchcock was also a director who didn't care if he abused his actors. And so, like, the whole scene there when they were, like, in the water and then, like, swimming and trying to get on the wing, like, you can tell those actors are really, like, really swimming and really struggling and, like, really uh, not having a great time. Yeah. Which, you know, sucks for them, but it makes for a great ending scene. Mm-hmm. My one criticism of the film is that I think the plot makes no sense. I think that it's super, it's like overly complicated uh, for no reason. And it's just, there's all these like twists and turns, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then like, you're just, just, at the end I was left with like, wait, but what? Like, I don't, okay. Yeah. That's how I felt like at the end plot wise. It w- There was a lot thrown at, thrown at you. Yeah. There's but... just, at first I was just like, okay, this is cool. Other spies and like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then like. Then it just like takes these turn. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I thought it added to the fun though. But like, like kind of just like pulpy material for mm-hmm. the time. I, I really liked it. You know what is interesting watching these? Like, I mean, these were like the first movies that Hitchcock made in America in Holly in the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really only seen his later work, which I'm a huge fan of. But these, like this and Rebecca, I think are you can see the like bits that have, are incorporated into like probably his more well-known work but i think that th- like these movies just feel different to me from what he did in later hmm. years so i disagree i would say that completely with rebecca i absolutely agree i don't think rebecca is like any and i'm just talking about because it's like not that suspenseful of a movie or anything like that 
I just feel it was very not him. And I feel like you can you can tell that from both of these movies with the opening credits not being an Alfred Hitchcock presents or an Alfred oh, Hitchcock. Oh, it's true. It's like David O. Selznick production. Yeah, he is uh, very much not yet Alfred Hitchcock, right? Right. Um, but I do think I will. St- I mean, I would strongly believe, and I think most people would agree with me that. Foreign Correspondent is more on tune with the rest of yeah, his body of work. I would say it's more, yeah. Than, Re- than, than Rebecca, <laughs> sure. I just don't, I mean, if you like look at <clears throat> The Birds or Rear Window or Psycho or like whatever, like I think that those are just like very different than this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not that I disliked it. Um, I just didn't love it. Sure. If I was ranking my favorite Hitchcock movies, I don't think this would crack. No, that's fair. That is fair. So I would highly recommend it, though. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I guess. Yeah. No, no one saw it. No one saw it. No. Okay. Uh, The audience score of eighty-one percent, critic score of ninety-four percent. It's not really ranked anywhere, but IndieWire did a ranking of Hitchcock's best films, of his best, his twenty-five best films, and this is ranked at number seventeen. Oh. And it made one point six million. Cool. All right, so let's talk about his movie that won the Oscar, Rebecca. Rebecca. The only Alfred Hitchcock film to ever win an Oscar. Seriously? Yes. Like for Best Picture, you mean? Like he had other films that won Oscars, right? No. The only other movie, like he was never nominated for Best Director, not even this year. The only other movie that was nominated for Best Picture was Psycho, and it didn't win. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, he was... Well, like what about actors like in roles you know what i mean or, um, or cinematography or editing or possibly i think like the next year joan fontaine actually won because she was in suspicion okay but she's the only actress to win an oscar from an alfred hitchcock That's movie insane. oh my god okay wow yeah. i'm honestly just shocked um I, ironically i wouldn't give it to rebecca so yeah that's <laughs> i think the interesting thing yeah um oh wait i, I didn't do a synopsis oh yeah <laughs> rewind uh a self-conscious bride is tormented by the memory of her husband's dead first wife uh this was hitchcock her name's rebecca the first wife yeah not the main character of this film who does not have a name she literally doesn't nope apparently she didn't in the book either oh okay so it's a thing i guess i don't know why it's a thing she just never gets her own identity because it's not important right right her identity is not central to this film about her no um, so this was Hitchcock's first American film and his first under contract with David O. Selznick. Oh, so this came, he made this before Foreign Correspondent? Yes. Okay. He made this like, they made this like 1939 and then it got shelved because Selznick was working on Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. And then it, so then it ended up coming out after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Lawrence Olivier wanted his then girlfriend Vivian Lee to play the lead role, he treated Joan Fontaine horribly. This shook Fontaine's up quite a bit so alfred hitchcock decided to capitalize this on this by telling her everyone on the set hated her thus making her shy and uneasy just the performance he wanted that is so fucking messed up that's so alfred hitchcock uh alfred hitchcock and cinematographer george barnes used a technique known as deep focus photography in this film it's one of the few films to use this technique before citizen kane okay I'm just letting you know. And then I have a quote that I want to read to you that Alfred Hitchcock said because I think it's really funny. So having endured producer Selznick notoriously controlling authoritarian bent through the production of the film, 20 years later, Hitchcock said, when I came to America to direct Rebecca, David Selznick sent me a memo. I've just finished reading it. I think I may turn it into a motion picture. I plan to call it the longest story ever told. I mean, he's a great director. 
yeah. a master for sure. Um, yeah, Rebecca. Rebecca. I don't really know what to say. Like it, the font or Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine was hardly likable. She was so freaking. Olivier annoying. was not very likable at all. No. And I don't, I don't care if there's like some kind of twist to the you know the plot of this movie. It doesn't matter. You're, you're you're kind of boring the entire time and just mean in some of it. Yeah, I kept thinking that that was gonna like be a thing. Like he was so controlling and weird. But yeah. I was like, I guess that's just it how men were. Like enough. I don't exactly. I thought it was like gonna be like something is crazy about him. And no, there's it's not. Mm-hmm. He's just uh, like why they were fine with writing a character so just bad for no reason <laughs> i mean like my crazy. only theory is that like if that wasn't bad like you just like calling your wife an idiot all the time wasn't considered but a see, dick move so, in 1940 like so messed up or yeah. did like hitchcock think it was funny you know what i mean possibly i don't know i mean i don't know it like, was that his way to fit in kind of like Hoo-hoo-hoo. i mean i would say I this know. does not hold up well to modern no, sensibilities it sure, <laughs> it sure doesn't and it's it's honestly just not that good of a watch I really love the last scene. I think you know what I'm talking about. Won't give it away. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most Hitchcockian scene in the entire movie. I would agree. And I love it. But it was like 30 seconds. It was like 30 <laughs> great seconds. Like, honestly, though, I may, like if this movie would have ended on any other note, I might not have been like happy at all. But mm-hmm. I was very happy to see this last 30 seconds. I thought it was very incredible. Um, wouldn't say it make, made the whole movie for me. But I also wouldn't say this is a particularly bad fit. It's not bad. It's just not good. To yeah. me, like I don't think it's I don't think it stands as a like with the whole reason we're doing this podcast, right? Like I don't right. think it stands as the actual best picture from the year. No, no, I don't think it comes close to being the best picture this year. I yeah. think it's fine. Yeah, 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 fine. Yeah. That's good. Like yeah, that. and I mean the performances. I mean, Joan Fontaine. I just I assume that's the direction she got in a way, but she's so. I don't know. I just dislike it so much. Yeah. And I feel like it's the same too. That It's kind of like become a trope now where it's like um, the clumsy girl and like the only like personality she has is that she's clumsy and isn't, doesn't that make her yeah quirky? But I just feel like, like she was constantly knocking stuff over and like doing it. And then she'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Oh. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't. Was that funny to people back then? Was that like interesting to right. people back then? I don't understand it. Like, I, and I don't know this again, another book clearly based, well, actually, I feel like everything in this, everything nominated was based on source material from a book or yeah. a play. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, I can't qu- reference the original material, but it's just like, it had to be more interesting. Well, it's this. written by a woman. So I, um, oh, okay. Daphne something. I doubt she's called an idiot. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know because I mean, she also didn't give her a name in the book. So it, I know, and maybe that's purposeful because and maybe it makes more sense in the book because i i kind of get yeah. like the idea of like the memory of rebecca is so overwhelming that she doesn't get her own identity because she's constantly trying to exactly. like, live up to yeah. that yeah yeah which i understand that to a certain extent um but i also just think that it's like lazy in a way i don't know i don't know and in the book also you know in the movie he i'm gonna spoil this sorry no. If you guys care, just letting people know that it's going to be spoiled. In the movie, he says that, like Rebecca dying was an accident. Like he was going to kill her, but then she just like stumbled and hit her head. Whereas in the book, he like killed her. Oh, did he? Yeah. Which again, I think like that's you're talking about like the Hayes Code. You're saying like how did like why did uh, Betty Davis' character in the letter have to die when like people in other movies kill people and, yeah. didn't, and got away with it? But I think that's like the way they kind of got around it there. It's like he didn't really kill her, and she was you know sleeping around and whatever so else. he straight up does kill her in the book yeah 
but he, she wanted it still. Uh, yeah, I think that part's still true that she was like goading him into doing it. Okay, he felt like a, maybe a monster mm-hmm. because he did this yeah. terrible thing, but then he found out I mean, he's still kind of a monster. But I mean, she he still murdered it. someone. Yeah, and that's the thing too. He's literally like, "Hey, I killed my first wife, and I've been lying about it for forever." And she's like, "I still love you." Yeah, it's okay. Here's how we'll cover it up. I'm like, "What? What?" Yeah. No. When someone, when your husband tells you that he killed his first wife, that's when you get the fuck out of there. <laughs> You'd be like, well, okay. Yeah. Bye then. Bye. Um, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and again, yeah. so it kind of like. Women don't make a lot of sense in these movies from the 1940s. Written by men? No. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> nope. And I also kind of, it's so like, he is not nice. He's not nice to her ever. There's, oh my God, we didn't even get all the weird, weird stuff where he's like clearly kind of a pedophile. <laughs> like he says to yeah, her, he doesn't want her to grow up. Don't ever be 36. Yeah. And then he's like, don't grow up. And then he says something that keeps referring to her as a child. child and yeah. like, well, he it's is older. so creepy though. It is so creepy. And I don't know if the book, she's supposed to be like even younger or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it is creepy. Yeah. And I don't know if it wasn't creepy then, but it is I really thought this movie would get creepier. I know. I kept thinking it was going to be like, I thought he was going to be the villain, but instead it's like their love is true and Mrs. Danvers is the villain. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mrs. Danvers, we can talk about her. We haven't talked about her yet. I I don't think we need to. What a crazy bitch. I know. But let's leave like something for the audience since you're just just ruining everything else that wasn't. No no one's going to watch this. Um, her, Her performance, I think, is great, honestly. Danvers? Yes. Hell yeah. She was scary she's, she's terrifying. the only like, scary part of it the yeah. whole scene that takes place in rebecca's room is just like also uh ugh. ben was really good who ben the homeless guy oh yeah yeah he was good he was really good yeah whatever but yeah i i certainly don't think this movie by any means deserve like unless it's obviously it was a very popular book and the number one movie at the box office like is that how they determine you know what i mean yeah but, i don't know because, I mean, the Academy obviously had no respect for Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Because this is absolutely. by far, like, not his best work. No, no, no. And they absolutely. didn't nominate him again. But, I mean, yeah. this is the only movie he won that won Best Picture. He wasn't nominated for director. He never won. I don't think he was ever nominated for director. I think he does a lot of really interesting things as director, too. So, that, like, it's odd that he didn't get. Whereas, like, some of those people, we saw their movies and it's just like, okay, why right. did you get Best Director nomination? Right. Like, Sam Wood. Like, I don't really know what he did. On a director level to get nominated. Yeah. Whereas Alfred Hitchcock, I mean, that's the thing too. Like we're looking at the Academy Awards and like basically determining that they don't really, aren't the like end all be all of what's good in film. Because you look at Alfred Hitchcock, who I think is largely accepted as being one of the greatest directors of all time and on a tour and like all this other stuff. And yet he never won a best directing act. Yeah. But I mean, it happens for sure. And I think, I think some of that is um, one, because I think genre movies in, don't do well in general and he was working in a medium that i think the oscars looked down on yeah um i think also he was an asshole (laughs) yeah and so that plays into it um but yeah like rebecca i wouldn't count it as the best movie of 1940 and i certainly wouldn't count it as alfred hitchcock's best movie yeah other people disagree (laughs) (laughs) rotten tomatoes audience score of 92 percent critic score of 100 percent Although I will like caveat to all these like statistics I've been throwing off Rotten Tomatoes. Like um, some of these older movies don't have a lot of critics reviews that they're pulling yeah, from. Yeah. So it's like a, a smaller number of reviews yeah. that they're that they're looking at. 
Um, but Rebecca is listed on AFI's list of 100 thrills at number 80. Mrs. Danvers has ranked number 31 for best villains. Cool. And on that same list I mentioned before, uh, IndieWire's list of the 25 best Hitchcock films, this was ranked at number 10. So, above Foreign Correspondent. Okay. Still probably too high on the list. Okay. I feel like it probably was ranked higher because they were like, oh, it's the only one that won an Oscar. Yeah. I just don't, I don't get it. Okay. Whatever. So, so, so do you want to... Okay, so we've both agreed that Rebecca should not have won. Yeah. I'm not going to make you rank all 10 because yeah, that's too much. To. <laughs> what, what movie do you think should have won Best Picture? I think uh, they did it right when they gave John Ford Best Director for Grapes of Wrath. I think Grapes of Wrath is by far the most superior film on the, uh, on the list for uh, the 1940 films, the 1941 Oscars. I agree 100%. Really? I think it should have been Grapes of Wrath, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, what did you think I was going to say? I don't know. Probably fucking like Kitty Foyle or some shit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even like Kitty Foyle. Philadelphia, you liked Kitty Philadelphia Story. I love Philadelphia Story, but I, I think that Grapes of Wrath is probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like, it right. was fantastic. I don't think anything else holds a candle to it. Boom! I apologize that's- to your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So that's it. Yeah. We just talked about 10 movies. 10 movies, uh, one of which is really, really good. And you should <laughs> you should check Several it out. Several of which are good. There are a handful of decent movies on this list. They didn't need 10 nominees. They sure year. didn't need 10. No. This is a bad year to do the 10 thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, honestly, if we could, sounds like if we could each recommend one movie from 1940, it would be John Ford's Grapes of Wrath, written by John Steinbeck, based on material by John Steinbeck. Yes. Um, guys, please see it. It's beautiful. Yeah. In every single way. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Um, so yeah, the rest of this episode, we are now halfway through our first season. We hope that you guys are enjoying it. And if you are, please rate and review us on iTunes so other people can find it. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, we came in listening to the winner of the best song for this year, which was Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio and how can we say that that is not one of the best songs ever so we're gonna go out on it as well so we'll see you next week and in another 30 years I think I did that math right